Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and welcome to Full Chat, the weekly F1 news and discussion show where this week we're just going to take out the fuel, set some headline grabbing lap times to find a big sponsor before dropping straight to the back of the podcasting grid once we start running legally again by the first race. I'm Brad Philpot and as always I've done my best to filter through this week's busy motorsport news cycle for the best winter F1 content and we want you to add your views and join in the discussion on our live YouTube chat. We run a Twitter space during our recording, but we totally neglect the listeners on there. So if you're one of them, search for Full Chat F1 on YouTube and get involved in the chatting. Remember, any super chat questions get a guaranteed answer. But even if you're a cheapskate and don't pay us any money, we'll probably answer you anyway. Tonight, we discuss the Mercedes F1 W4, uh, F1 W14 using our sum total of zero aerodynamic or engineering qualifications to give you a definitive answer to the question, are Mercedes back this year? Plus, with the first and only pre-season test coming up this week, we give you our complete guide to testing. When is it, what to look out for, and what to expect to see from each team. In history with Alex and Brad, we take a look at the car which didn't need to be moving to be sucked down to the ground and had a James Bond-style rear cannon aimed at its competitors. And as usual, we answer your questions in real time as you send them in. Joining me, as always, a former semi-decent kart racer who, unlike Mercedes, has utterly failed to make the minimum weight limit, it's my co-host and best mate, Alex Van Jean. How's it going, Alex? <laughs> I love that. That one's very good. And annoyingly, annoyingly, upsettingly true. Um, and this is a show that where, we, where you can get away with fat-shaming me, because it's all true. Uh, one day I'll think of something genuinely witty and it won't just be calling you names and making fun of you. Well, one day um, we might be big enough that you can't make those kind of jokes anymore because it's the kind of thing that might get you cancelled. Yes, uh, that is true, and it is mean. And I, I don't, I, you know, it's only because I love you and uh, you know. give me permission. Um, so before we get going, a quick reminder, if you are joining us on the Twitter space, you won't hear the music or the bumpers. So if you want to get involved in the chat, see what we look like, have no weird gaps where there's no sound between the topics, head to YouTube. The link's on my Twitter profile or search for Full Chat 
F1. So what have you been up to this week, Alex? Um, I've had some stuff going on this week. Um, lots of stuff about this show. Me and you have had lots and lots of conversations about the future of this show. I actually even saw you in person. Um, yeah. And you came making down. Making plans. Making plans, making lots of things to try and do more with the show. Um, getting very excited about the numbers this week. They've been very, very good this week, despite Is- having Kyle Power on last week. Is this episode seven now of our official podcast? It's gone fast. It has gone it fast. I think it might be episode seven, which is crazy considering that. We have skipped one week, so we're in our eighth week of making podcasts, but um, our seventh show. Um, I have been making more liveries, which is good. I made. Um, I had a returning customer come back to me to make some liveries for him. I had to port them over to two new cars, and I enjoyed doing that. And if you do want an iRacing livery done, come and talk to me. Um, and I'm looking for a survival game on my computer. So since I got rid of that rubbish game that you made me play, um, I'm now trying to look for a survival game like Ark or, or there's a whole bunch of other ones. I've been watching a whole lot of videos. Oh, and flying more airplanes. So you're doing some side hustles and playing some computer games. And I have to say, my side hustle is playing computer games effectively. I've been doing a bit of coaching on the sim. That's um, the dream. Build, building a bit of a, a kind of client database and, and trying to make some people faster. Get faster, faster. That's my little tagline. Um, so we should probably jump into this week's topics. So our first thing to chat about this week is Mercedes. So it's been a little while now since the Mercedes F1 W14, see I said it right that time, um, has been launched. We've had some time to pour over it. We don't know anything about how good it is, but we're going to try and guess. So this car, it looked similar and also different to last year's car. Obviously, the most obvious difference was that it has gone back to the black color. This has been kind of done to death in the F1 media in terms of explaining this, but just in case you're one of the people that only listens to Full Chat F1 for your Formula 1 news, uh, the Mercedes has been predominantly stripped back to bare carbon to save weight, and there's some black paint on kind of the top layer, the top surfaces, kind of on top of the nose and top of the engine cover, but really a bit of weight saving, looks cool. What do you think about the colour first off, Alex? Uh, Oh, I I was, well, we were talking about it when we had Nyasha on, um the other week that we were all wanting it to go back to black i've been singing um back in black basically all week now rocking out in the car and when i've been doing work um because yeah it looked badass and do has I, I know the talking about the color has been done to death but has the hark back story been talked about that much about about why actually going back to bare carbon actually is part of the history of why the silver arrows were originally called the silver arrows it's certainly a convenient story to have in there isn't it um, oh it's, we, it's, we it's definitely it's definitely know. a case of um oh yeah good we can hark in this story basically the original mercedes cars back in the 50s i think they were red and they were struggling to make make the uh, they were they were overweight for their first no i think they, i think they were white weren't they because if you remember remember when mercedes had that horrendous german grand prix oh yes and everyone was dressed in the yes. classic colors um and they painted the cars in their classic colors for that race and they were white then i think that's what they were but yes white. point stands um, they got rid of the paint and they they before the race they scratched off all the paint and went back to the bare aluminium and obviously aluminium is silver i think they went on to go do very very well and 
maybe not in that particular race, but in that season, because they kept the weight, the paint off, which kept the weight off, and obviously that made them the silver arrows. So they have effectively done the same thing this year. They've stripped back all the paint to save as much weight as possible, which I've been hearing is anywhere from three to five kilos which when you are overweight and you are trying to move ballast around the car, that's really, really important of what you can do. That could be the difference between a car being understeer and a car being on the nose. Yeah, I um, I think it's definitely the right thing to have done for performance primarily, but as fans, I think everyone was quite happy with that decision as well. Voted in all the official livery voting competitions which are going on now. That's That's the sport we have now, Alex. There's a lot of talk about liveries in the off-season, and Mercedes was voted as number one, I believe. Ferrari and Alfa Romeo close behind, well, so people like it. Well, they can't really talk about what the cars look like, because we have launch cars, we have renders, and we have the cars that have actually been out on track. And for some teams, all three of those have been different. I think Mercedes is actually one of them. So it, I, I, there's nothing else to talk about, really, apart from the confusion of, of what a car is, of which car is the right car and the confusion. And then it's just a case of, is it pretty? Um, but the Mercedes, as we expected, looks very, very different to all the other cars. Yeah. So although we probably can't say it's still a zero pod car, it's, this has also been said to death and I don't know who coined it, but 0.5 pod is probably accurate. It doesn't have the same kind of side pods as most of the other cars. And even though there are a couple of different philosophies among the cars with side pods, Mercedes one is strikingly different. So it remains to be seen whether or not pursuing that will be the right thing or whether it, it whether it matters at all. Maybe, as has been said a number of times, it was the suspension that was the key problem with the car last year. They didn't have enough travel to run the car in the range. It needed to be run to avoid the porpoising. However, the other thing where the side pods are crucial is for the floor stays to actually keep the floor, I think, rigid enough so that it doesn't keep hitting the floor and cause the porpoising and doesn't flex. So it causes the porpoising. I think we saw from a cutaway of a Red Bull from last year, I think after maybe one had been an incident, that you could see the stays inside the side pod, which was able to be more than you had in the in the Mercedes and, and caused their problem. But actually, the most different thing is the top part of that car they've got these bulges at the top uh, across uh, the center of the car either side of the center of the car which look like a water slide which is very oh. interesting i have no idea what they do but it looks really cool now i should probably we need to point this out water slide i believe is what is being referred to with the aston martin style side pod where it, and in fact their one is very very extreme where you have a definite slope that goes from the top of the side pod straight down to the floor within the side pod. Now, I think what the Mercedes upper weird slopey bit is being referred to as is either a double-barreled exit or a, um, a can double cannon exit. They're kind of referring to it like the barrel of a shotgun with those two barrels, I guess. <laughs> or you've got uh, like a tube on either side that's up quite high. So we've got kind of, we're going to have all sorts of weird and wonderful names for different features of these cars. But um, the Mercedes has certainly interesting bulges down the side. Um, hello to our first time people in the chat, by the way. We should probably make a bit more reference to our chatters since this is full chat. Luke121201, which is an interesting name. Uh, maybe that's a birth date. Uh, maybe we can steal his bank details now from reading his, his uh, handle. Welcome Where's that to the super chat? chat? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, everyone. Um, so, yes, the Mercedes looks very different. 
We just can't tell if that means it's better or not, but you'd, you'd hope it means it's better. And with regard to the, the slightly bulgier side pods allowing more floor stays, I've heard conflicting things about this. I can't remember which F1 tech expert said it. It might have been Summers. It might have been someone completely different. In fact, I think in this instance, it was Scarbs on a video on YouTube was throwing a little bit of doubt on that because he said you could see some teams last year where when the bodywork was removed, they didn't have stays under the parts where they could have had stays. And therefore, that should mean that Mercedes also wouldn't need them if the floor was built rigidly enough. So maybe they could have done with them last year. Maybe the flexing floor was actually a problem. But Scarb's point of view is that that shouldn't necessarily be the be-all and end-all. You should be able to have a strong enough floor without all the extra stays. Apparently, Kyle Engineer is the one that broke down the stays. Okay, maybe maybe I'm doing him a disservice. Go and watch Kyle Engineer's channel on YouTube if you don't already. Uh, and comment in his chat that we're trying to get hold of him. We'd love to have him on the show. Yeah, we would like Kyle Engineers to be our private tech expert because he's really good really cool and 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 it would save us bumbling around tech issues when we're guessing at best um this alex i'll have you know is detailed and um very knowledgeable and objective facts i'm, I'm failing aren't i really facts we, you're really gonna use the word facts we don't know much about the tech side i don't know can, can we get sued yet um yeah. So what else about the Mercedes then is interesting before we move on to other things that are happening this week because there's a bunch of F1 stuff finally happening this week. I don't know what aerodynamic purpose it serves. Um, I actually think you sh you shared this in, in one of our chat groups. Um, the cockpit is like, what was it, 23 centimetres further forward than it was last season. That's maybe to get the weight more over the nose, maybe to make it a bit more pointy. Maybe they were struggling with understeer. So Last this year. was F1 data analysis on Twitter. Go and follow them. Another awesome Formula One source of information. Uh, they showed a comparison of last year's car and this year's car from above, showing the cockpit significantly further forward. So I think you just said it around 20, 20 centimeters or so further forward. Certainly uh, a big weight distribution change. The engine will probably move forward as well as a consequence. So um, really interesting to see whether that yields any differences. I would even... Um, has it a guess, and it is definitely a guess, that a change that big in terms of weight distribution could be potentially bigger than whether or not you've got zero pods. So that's um, some big changes anyway. The Mercedes, which on the face of it, you could have said, oh, it looks similar to last year. When you scratch the surface, there's actually some pretty fundamental changes. However, also one very keen-eyed social media legend um, stated that on the, on the test going down... Uh, the Wellington straight that the Mercedes with Lewis Hamilton, it was porpoising. Well, I mean, that was a perfectly reasonable thing to conclude from that one second video. I think we've come to the consensus that the car was probably just going over a bump. But you, that does really go to show just how primed the the Mercedes fan base and probably the wider F1 fan base who just want a close title fight or another team in there this year that everyone's a bit worried that that kind of thing can happen. You know, unexpected things happened last year. Hopefully this year with, an, you know, an extra year of of understanding the cars and the special rules that came in this year to try and stop porpoising um, with, the, with the changes to the floors. Hopefully that is just uh, an unfounded fear. Yeah, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, as long as they aren't struggling with the car at the beginning of the season... And they can just take the fight to Ferrari and Red Bull. 
you know, if if there is if we line up for the first race of the season and the first six cars on the grid are separated by a couple of tenths or even three tenths, I will be over the blooming moon. And if they're jumbled up, even better. That's what I want. You know, I'd love to have a Max Lewis, Charles Leclerc, Sainz, George, Perez top six would be awesome. I'd maybe put George a little bit further up that. But um, I think if everything goes well, we are in for one hell of a season. So built to Jay-Z Lexus, and I still haven't been told how you're supposed to say that username. They say in the chat, they moved all that weight forward to have more room in the rear for the suspension. So certainly there is a revised suspension layout on the Mercedes. So that's another thing um, that is different this year. So shall we talk about the biggest thing that's happening this week? Although Drive to Survive is coming out later in the week, and that would normally be the biggest winter news if there was nothing else, we actually have some testing to talk about. So, Alex, what should we expect from testing? Because this is something that, on the face of it, should be just kind of boring. You'd never watch anyone else test in any other race series. But in Formula One, we've been starved of F1 news and track action for several months. And we're desperate to see the relative performance of each of these cars. So, unlike through most of our Formula One viewing history, you and I, and we've been watching it a long time, we get to see it live. We actually get to see it on TV on Sky Sports. Will you be watching? I'll be watching absolutely 100%. I actually probably need to check my diary for this week. I actually think I've got some meetings on Thursday. I think I'm out for most of the day on Thursday. Damn. Ooh. Oh, well. Um, but anyway, I'll I'll listen and I'll figure out ways to watch it. It's not a problem. Um, however, the thing you must do, so what we're trying to do uh, today with talking about testing is what you should do when watching testing, what you should pay attention to and what you shouldn't pay attention to. And the thing that you should absolutely, definitely, 100% pay attention to and bide all your betting for the season on is the lap times. No, 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 no. Don't do <laughs> what, that. Hang on. So what the fastest time of the day <laughs> is the absolute most important so thing. So if all of a sudden Kevin Magnussen sets the fastest lap of the day, put all your put your house on Kevin Magnussen to win the championship because that's what's going to happen. No. Ignore lap times absolutely flat out ignore them yes okay there'll be some headline times and you'll see, probably see some familiar faces at the front at the front but you have no idea what fuel they're running you have no idea sometimes if they're on testing tires what tire they're on you don't know what their pressures are what their strategy for running is what they're testing what they aren't testing so lap times are mostly irrelevant if you really want to go and dig into the data you can go and look at any long runs that they will or won't do we are in stable engine uh, um, development. So you're not going to see lots of cars breaking down all the time. Well, at least you shouldn't because that's catastrophic. But you will see hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of laps. The thing to pay attention with, with, with um, testing, is body language. Watch every single... If you don't do anything, if you don't watch any on-track action, watch and listen to the interviews. Listen to the drivers in the car how they are sounding when the cars are driving, look at the faces of people in the team, look at the driver's, the driver's shoulders when they are in the interviews. Are they up? Are they down? How do they perceive, how do they look like they're coming across? Because it is impossible to hide if you think you have a good car. It's also impossible to hide if you know you've got a bad one. I, I tend to agree with basically everything you've said, except that 
built to Jay-Z Lexus in the chat, and that's not our only chatter, but they do they do make some good points, has just told us that the teams with the fastest times in testing finished in the top three in the past six years. So obviously, fast times mean something. They're just not everything. And especially if you're looking at the fastest time of a team by lunchtime and half of them maybe haven't set a competitive time, that's when you need to really build some context into what you're looking at. The thing I like is really looking at the long run pace and I don't sit there and make notes of each of the lap times I look at the people who I trust on social media people like um, Jonathan Noble in fact any of the mainstream Formula One media groups they tend to publish the long run pace and that I think is slightly more indicative of of the performance of each team one lap pace is important except it's just very easy to pretend it's very easy to take a bunch of fuel out and go and do a really fast qualifying lap when everyone else is actually doing their higher fuel runs. But we know how much fuel you can fit in a Formula One tank. And if someone goes and does a full run, a full on race simulation, you can get a fair idea of the relative performance of the teams doing that against each other. So that's what I'm excited to see. And you mentioned body language. I think another thing that's key to really get an idea of how well a team's doing is do they just open the garage doors and go? Or do they mess around for hours fiddling with niggly problems like McLaren last year? Do you remember what happened to McLaren last year? No. They had issues with, I think it was, a, was it brake ducts? There was something that was getting too hot that they then had to replace ah, with metal. They constantly had brake issues. And it really limited their running. And, and it caused them, obviously, knock-on issues probably for the early part of the season. So things like that are not indicative of, of a smooth sailing... Um, you know, a, a car that's going to run and run fast from the first race of the season. But we are in a second year of these new regulations. All the cars seem pretty sorted by the end of last year, from a reliability point of view, at least anyway. So I'm expecting some really, really um, high numbers of laps done this year. I was meant to, that's one thing I forgot to research before today, was how many laps were done in testing last year. Um, and to compare that i will have that prepared for next week because i think that'll be a very interesting stat to compare the running especially considering we're only getting three days of testing this year which and, in my mind is fuck all and paris pressures 21 in the chat um also points out that the number of laps that each team have by the end of the day their lap count is quite often um we make quite a big deal of that and that's with good reason it really does show that teams are able to just run their cars and run and run and run and good reliability means they can then run them even harder um but yes about the three days of testing that does seem a little bit short doesn't it for an elite sport there's probably not many other sports where you could say the athletes involved just get to do in fact not three days one and a half days each unless you're Fernando Alonso, but we'll talk about that potentially in a moment. Um, one and a half days each if you're splitting it evenly between your two drivers. And that really is not a lot of practice in a brand new car, especially if you're a rookie. And we've got some of those. Who are the rookies we have this year, Brad? So we've got Nick DeVries, who isn't really a full rookie. because He's, he's only done, done one race. He's he's one still, race. I, I'm still giving Nick rookie, especially because the one race he's done isn't for the team or the car he's currently driving. So I'm still going to give Nick DeVries rookie status. And it would be Logan Sargent in the Williams. The ah, so It would be very interesting to see the fan support we get from America this year with Drive to Survive again coming out this week, obviously. And we'll talk about that next week or in the next couple of weeks. Oh. Um, and... Of course, Lennart in the chat pointing out Oscar Piastri as well. What an idiot. Of course, Oscar <laughs> Piastri, uh, a very 
um, a, a rookie with a lot of controversy. Oh, I, I was going to say he's going to be popular and lots of people will be watching him intently. But yeah, also controversial entry, I don't think entirely his fault or his fault at all. Mm. Um, but yeah, basically, my point was that it's not a lot of laps to do, even if it all goes well. If nothing goes wrong, the maximum you're going to get to do is a day and a half of running in varied conditions. You know, you're not necessarily going to get the best conditions. And there's actually one more potential rookie who might need to get some practice under his belt before the first race of the season and do you want me to say it now or are you going to no, say no, it no. Bef- first before before you, we get we've, got, so a whole, we've got, a whole, we got a whole section on that we'll get to that in a minute um okay we're going to keep people we, waiting we had a conversation in one of our um uh in one of our chat groups this week about is three days of testing enough and i think me you kyle power um were very much of the opinion that it's not really enough for a professional sport to have the cars in the right place looking good and behaving like top racing cars should do before a test especially in what are very immature regulations and one of the other people in our in our conversation was saying oh but it's good to have them not prepared because that adds better racing does it add better racing or does it add more chaos and is more chaos better racing now I think sometimes, sometimes. For some people. And I think you're, I think me and you are very similar. We're both, I hate the word purists, but in a way, racing purists. We like racing to be proper racing. I don't like other stuff sprinkled over it to dilute the pureness of the sport. God, I sound pretentious. Yeah, you sound um, old. I sound really fucking pretentious. I don't like it. But what it. You're such I, a purist. I, <laughs> I don't want it to be good racing crazy racing because it's chaos because people are breaking down and cars aren't working properly i want it to be good racing because the cars are all sorted the drivers are all tuned in and they're all going hammer and tongs and going at each other um so it does depend on the fandom um now we're obviously very new fan friendly in here and we want all the new fans to to join us and we want them to um get excited about the sport and i think when you've been doing the sport been involved in the sport a little bit less just having crazy races is fun so it'd be really interested to see in the chat and uh, any dms or or twitter messages we get later on uh, to find out what your preferred way of racing is so i think you and i agree that we like the results of of the sport that we love to be largely merit-based. We want to see the people who have done the best job, whether that's building a car or driving the car or everything together, we want to see those people generally get the results they deserve. If you've done a great job, you should get the wins. And the chaos is that random element that probably takes away some of the merit of the people who win. And I think that's why having teams that are underprepared and therefore random stuff happens at the first couple of races we're just not massive fans of that however i can totally understand the point of view that if there's if there's a run of races where one team or driver are winning all the time and we want to see something different yeah fair enough okay a wet race occasionally certainly does add some intrigue and excitement and you could also make the argument that the fact that they don't have many um testing laps or many days of testing before the season just means that it is even more onus on teams to do the best possible job so i can also see it from that that direction uh nick class in the chat um says i think it adds more competition on the engineer's side who who 
uh, who's the team with the worst problems? Who'll get it fixed first? What can be learned? Um, so it's from a, from an engineering point of view to have less testing does ramp up the side of how good the engineers are, which is actually a really good way to look at it. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I still think, though, having said all of that, six days of testing spread over a couple of weeks or maybe eight days might be more sensible. George Russell suggested having two cars at the test. Um, so I, mean, I think that have, doubles the cost. Well, they're going to have two cars at the race in a couple of weeks afterwards anyway. I mean, if you had just three days but two cars, that's effectively the same cost as having two weeks of three days with one car. Um, so I don't, I don't really mind. I think what they should do, it should, it should, be, it should be two weeks of testing. Um, one week, a break, then one week. One of those weeks should be at Bahrain because then you can test hot temperatures. And one, one of those should be in Spain where you can test slightly cooler temperatures because it is still their winter. Um, slightly cooler temperatures and also a high downforce circuit. Um, the other thing that it should be done with those two days, two weeks of testing is it should be incorporated into the cost cap. So maybe bump the cost cap a few million. I don't know. I wouldn't have a clue of the numbers, but bump that a little bit and then say, right, we're doing two days. We, we will be set up for two weeks of testing. You can attend as many of them as you want. You can spend the money to go testing or you can spend the money elsewhere. And, be, and I guarantee you every single team will be at testing and spend less time in CFD, less time in wind tunnels and rather get the cars on track. And it's better so, for the fans. And you know what they can do? They could sell tickets. I guarantee you, you put, you put one on in Spain and one, one on in Bahrain and people will pay to come to the track. I think nowadays there's definitely a much better chance of that, isn't there? Especially if, you know, in a European venue like Barcelona, you probably would get quite a lot of spectators coming. But the weather's just not good enough and they don't want to go and waste their time with kind of misty, potentially wintry weather, even though Spain is generally not too bad around this time of year. Didn't it so snow can, one year? It certainly had. We've had bad weather multiple years, yeah, doing the, the winter testing at some European venues, which is partly why on my list of things to talk about, why Bahrain? Why, why are they testing at Bahrain? It's hopefully re- relatively obvious because they're racing at Bahrain shortly afterwards. So in terms of travel, I guess it cost, cuts down on that. It's very relevant because although the race itself takes place in the evening in the cooler conditions, um, they will get some cool cool running that's a film title they will get some of that um towards the end of each day we haven't really mentioned this but the testing itself for uk viewers at least um the program starts at 6 50 a.m but they're testing on track from 7 a.m they then have a break um after four hours start again at 12 lunchtime uk time for four and a half hours which takes them into the kind of twilight areas much cooler faster lap time zone out in bahrain and then that's a lot more representative they're doing twilight testing yeah, they're, they're doing have, it. Have they done that before? I don't um, seem to remember that. I, I'm not 100% sure. I don't few, think they I mean, have. I've seen that's them, quite cool. I've seen them drive in the evening, but that's because they do that in the race weekend, don't they? So not sure. But anyway, lots and lots of TV action for us, although maybe it won't be that action-packed. Maybe it was televised last year as well. Maybe, um, maybe we think it's going to be a little bit boring where not many cars actually leave the garage. Who knows? But I'm optimistic. One other thing to mention is the track's not going to be in a great condition to begin with. We're going to have a lot of dust, dirt, hasn't mm. really been run on, except for the Lando Norris um, filming session that happened today where they've been blurring the floor. So there has been some running at Bahrain. Uh, we've had a super chat come in and we promised to always answer the super chat. So we will interrupt ourselves. I haven't even read it yet, but here we go. 
So this super chat is from New Made, and they say, we want limited randomness. We want fair officiating. We want clean driving. We want legal cars. I can see where this is going. Hashtag, I'm not looking at one team in particular. Hashtag, I will never forget. Well, it wasn't a question, so at least we don't have to answer it. But um, I agree with your No, you're definitely, definitely are not looking at one team in particular. Definitely not New Made. Um, but thank you very much for the super chat. Always appreciate your comments. Yeah, and, uh, and thanks to all the questions we get in the chat. If you're listening on Twitter, remember you can head to YouTube and get involved in that chatting. Um, so a couple more things then. Um, I kind of mentioned just then, we're going to have some twilight running. We're going to have cooler running towards the end of the day. If you are looking for the fast lap times, if that's what floats your boat, they're probably going to come in the evening time. That's probably when the teams are going to be doing their qualifying runs. So don't worry if your favorite team isn't quickest in the morning session. Go for it, Alex. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I know we generally tend to ignore Twitter. But there has been a good question on Twitter from um, Changing Opinions, TMLH. I don't know who he supports. Um, but he has said, what do you think about the new wet weather tyre compound? Don't know what to think about that yet. And the implementation of phasing out tyre blankets. Okay. Um, well, I don't know anything about the wet weather compound. But the only thing I do know is that up until now, Pirelli's wet weather tyres in Formula 1 have been... Rubbish. Yeah, less less than brilliant. Um, and so, you know, the teams don't run on them. They go straight to the inters most of the time. Um, I, I don't, uh, I do have opinions on the tyre blankets. I understand we're, we're trying to um, save energy, be more efficient, etc. Um, but the the tyre blanket thing seems to be a little bit of a false economy, or certainly uh, it takes away some of the eliteness from F1. The tyres are rubbish when they're freezing cold. I know it's maybe a bit fun to see the drivers skating around on cold tyres whilst they get them up to temperature, but it's also potentially quite dangerous. They Mm -hmm. really do have very, very low grip when they're not up to temperature. It's not like a road tyre or even like a track day tyre where it's got pretty decent performance, but it's got better performance when it's hot. A Formula One tyre has like no performance when it's cold and then obviously extremely good performance when it's warm. So, Well, it's it's funny. We we saw this in Bahrain last year when Lewis Hamilton went onto the hard tyres and literally went almost straight off the road, coming straight out the pits on the hard tyres. And that was with, I think, was it 10 or 15 degrees less than they had the previous years. And if you've watched old Top Gear, when Richard Hammond got to drive uh, the last of the V10 um, Renault cars, I think it was the 2005 Renault, maybe, whichever one, it was one of Alonso's title-winning cars, so it was 05 or 06. And there was lots of jokes made about the fact that he wasn't going fast enough to keep the heat in the tyres. And the only way to go 
only way to get heat back in the tires is to go much faster and brake much harder but when you have less grip and yes it'll be fun to watch the occasional person go off but as you said i do think it will be a bit dangerous in parts with such limited running the final couple of points really is any unreliability will be a huge setback so you can really not recover very easily from losing a day whereas in the past with you know lots more running wouldn't have been such a big problem and we already touched upon the the rookies but also potentially reserve drivers who will maybe need some running if they need to jump in and replace someone in the season but they might not get the opportunity well on that point i got um I, this is the problem now i'm now looking at twitter and there's more questions coming in uh, and chris Sachs has said i know testing lap times mean nothing we obviously discussed that before but will we be able to take anything away from the rookies compared to their new teammates now this is an interesting point because i think what they tend to try and do in the teams is protect the rookies when it comes to lap times. So, you know, they'll make, they might send, I'm guessing here, they might send Lando out first for the first half a day. He'll go out there, run the car, and then maybe they'll give Piastri a little bit less fuel or put him on a different strategy so that his lap times don't look too dissimilar. Or he might just go and smash his teammates. So you just never know. I think the... The reserve slash rookie that we probably should talk about is the one that is going to definitely be in the Aston Martin for this, but for the beginning of the first day. So you might or might not have heard the news that Lance Stroll is poorly. He's had a bicycle accident and he is not going to be at the test and might not be at the first race. We haven't really had that um, confirmed or denied yet. We haven't really had much detail at all about what's going on with Lance. Well, if we're going to wildly speculate based on rumours, there has been rumours flying around that he was seen coming out of a hospital, I think, in Barcelona, um, with a cast on his arm. Again, this is completely um, un, un, unverified. Rumors. Unverified, that's what I was looking for. And just to give you an idea, um, the healing time, on average, for a broken arm is six to eight weeks. If it's six weeks, he misses the first three races. And who gets to do races instead that wouldn't have normally got to do a race? Well, they are putting Felipe Drogovic into the car. Formula 2 champion from last year. Correct. And they are putting him in the car first, I think, um, to uh, on thursday they're making uh, him sweep the track for <laughs> they are they are, he's very much going to be fernando's kicking boy um but you know um it will be very interesting to see if i mean not if lance comes back because he's definitely going to come back he's not going to lose his drive um but how that will affect lance going forward especially because we've seen a lot of optimism coming out of aston martin since their launch they've obviously got uh, ex red bull dan fallows heading up the design for their car and he is a hot prospect um as someone who is very very good at what they do and there's lots of positives coming out of that could that affect a lance stroll bid for the title because as we know fernando alonso thinks that lance stroll can fight for the title because he's definitely definitely good enough sorry i have a silly graphic that i made lance stroll's title bid in ruin it's sad for lance though i mean i we're we're not the biggest lance stroll fans on this show um, he's not our favourite driver, but we obviously 
we obviously wish him well and um and it's it's a shame that he's not going to get at least to attempt to beat fernando at the beginning of the season or maybe he will maybe he'll be back we might be massively overplaying this he might have sprained his wrist or something like that and he might just be playing it safe for this first test but drogovic is certainly going to get the call up for this first morning of the test at the very least and the longer they leave felipe drogovic in that car the more sessions he gets to do probably the more we can start to read into lance's injury if we haven't had an update before then but Hopefully, Lance will be back and firing on all, for all cylinders shortly. Um, Alonso could have done all three days, I think. I think he's fit enough. I think it's not physically taxing enough that uh, you know a, a well-primed Formula 1 driver couldn't do a full three days. But it might be nice for him to not have to do the fiddly, rubbish bit at the beginning. And you've got nothing else to say on that, so I'm going to move I was, on to our... I was, I, I, I was um, messaging somebody on Twitter who has requested to talk. Unfortunately, because of the way we've got things set up, we can't take um, talkers from Twitter because... Twitter space people, we tell you all the time, you're, you're listening on the worst possible platform. Stop listening on Twitter. Come and look at our nice faces on YouTube, although YouTube's been having its... There, is over, there is over 30 of them. Okay, or, or basically... Hang up the Twitter call right now and listen back to us tomorrow as a podcast on your podcatcher of choice. We've had another Super Chat question, which we should probably acknowledge. And that is from Jonathan Gibbons, who asked something unrelated to what we've been talking about, but we promised to answer Super Chats, so we're going to come through on our promise. He asks, question about sim versus real-life qualifying. In sim racing, I can get up to a decent pace, but only after countless spins and crashes trying to find the limit. In real racing, this isn't an option, so wondering how the approach differs, especially given the more limited practice sessions compared to on the sim. Does it mean that real-life qualifying laps are less optimised than on the sim? I think this is an awesome question. I like love I say, this question. Pretty much unrelated to what we've been saying, although he does mention limited running. And F1 drivers do have very limited practice time. It's a tenuous link, but it works. Yeah, let's just say that's a good link. Um, so go on then. What do you think? Um, are we further from the outright limit in real life than we are on a sim? I think it's very different. First of all, in a sim, you don't have crash damage to worry about. So you can launch at a corner and see how hard you break. And if you bounce across the grass and smash into the wall, nothing happens. You just reset to the pits and go again. Obviously, obviously in F1, we don't have that um, luxury because if you slam it into the wall, you're generally out of a session and sometimes for a long, long time and cost lots of money and makes things very, very difficult for the people in your team. However, the difference is feel. When you are in a real car, um, I can only contest in carts. Brad, you've raced lots of cars, so you can contest to this. We're going to come on to this later in, because in, in some of the listeners... It's why I mentioned it. Mama didn't raise no fool. Um, and you can feel when you're at the limit or getting near the limit. You can actually probably find the limit easier because you have more feeling going on around you. Um, so, But one of the people who famously used to often test the extremities of the circuit, uh, be it gravel traps, occasionally barriers, was Michael Schumacher. Michael Schumacher was often seen in practice sessions in bits of the race circuit that he shouldn't be on because he's testing those limits. And that was one of the things that made Michael Schumacher so good was he did more, went above and beyond to try and find extra pace above the other people he was around. 
So my answer is effectively the same as yours. I think you you have so much more feel in real life that you find that limit more easily. Plus, I think it is possible to get on the pace in a sim without having a load of spins and crashes. I certainly, and I'm sure the the very fastest guys, who I do not count myself among, obviously, um, the very fastest guys on sims don't just go out and have a load of crashes when they're getting up to the limit. So I think that that speaks more to how a, a less experienced driver finds the limit in either platform real i'm referring to real life as, as a platform so i think in real life that same driver who is um say in a formula three car on a simulator able to get somewhere near the pace and they do that by having a load of crashes and spins to begin with and then they find the limit that same driver in real life probably would be quite a lot slower because they don't have that facility or that luxury but a pro driver probably doesn't find so much of a difference. Um, there are different ways of getting on the limit. I, I certainly do not um, go off and crash and spin on my way to finding the limit, as an example. So there we the, go. The interesting question for you on that um, was your BTCC test and race. I mean, you had an awful preparation for that, no fault of your own. Um, and your testing, you got you almost got nothing from your testing, if I remember rightly. Yeah, so limited testing time in real life definitely is still a problem. Um, and, and you're right. I, and just for the listeners who don't know, I've raced cars. I'm a car person. So, right, okay, I'll tell you what then. I'm going to get to this bit right now before we move on, just because we've already alluded to it and we'll forget otherwise. We would like you all to consider leaving us five-star reviews on Apple Podcast or Spotify or anywhere where you can leave a review. Um, because we have to sometimes counter the non-five-star reviews. For example, and I think we've only had one. I think everyone's been five-star except for this. This week, we received some glowing praise from a fan in Michigan who said, one star, hilarious. Sarcastically, they said that. This karting racer and his karting friends speaking like they're F1 driving experts. He spelt karting wrong both times, like it's a horse and cart. So anyway, if you'd like to, like to help us um, get a better average when occasionally people leave us one-star reviews you can help us out. Leave us a review. Yeah, because that means we would have dropped from 100% five-star to now, like, 4.9. And Mr. <laughs> Person in Michigan, I don't like you very much because you can't spell karting and you're mean about us. Yeah, right. Okay, so we've kind of covered this week's F1 news. We are going to cover Drive to Survive next week. We're not going to do a full-on review, but Alex and I are going to watch some of it and probably watch the rest of it the following week, so we're not giving you too many spoilers. I was going to say, this is a little bit of an on-show meeting, an on-air meeting, should I say. That's all right. Um, but weren't we going to do um, testing next week and then do Drive to Survive the following week because it means we take away spoilers? I know the 2023 season, the 2022 season is done, but there is spoilers and things people might not want to know. So maybe we give it a week's break and it might give us a chance to get somebody on the show. Okay, um, Okay, that's a, good, that's a good point. Kenneth Lutz. Kenneth Lutzer in the chat says, is it okay if I copy and paste the whole one-star review when I leave my five-star review? Absolutely. Please do. That would be funny. Um, and yes, we don't Alex, care what you say. You, you can call us every name under the sun. If it's five-star, I don't care. Alex, um, I agree. Maybe we'll give Drive to Survive one week to breathe before we really go into it. Really good idea. So next up, let's do history with Alex and Brad.
And this week's topic is something that's been on our list to do for some time. And it is, it's a car that I didn't really know much about before I researched it, along with Alex this week. And I think Alex really has done the lion's share of the research for this one. So I'll probably let you start. But our topic this week is the Brabham fan car. Alex, take it away. So in 19... Nice oh, to hear you've really no, done the research. I really researched my, my things have gone away. I keep the year, I was getting very confused with the years while I was uh, researching. In some year, there was a in, car in, at some in, point. In something, you've moved everything around. Ah, so in 1977, um, the real world of ground effects invented by Colin Chapman uh, came in, and he was very much the pioneer of that. And in uh, and what that happened is, is every single car for the end of 90, for 77 and into 78 were making ground effects cars. Unfortunately, Brabham had an Alfa Romeo engine. Now, that Alfa Romeo, en- Alfa Romeo engine was a flat 12 boxer engine, which meant it was very low and very You know exactly wide. what that means, don't you? Yep. Yeah, it's like, means... it means the car is sideways and the pistons go towards each other. So, okay, that, that's, yeah. It's actually more than I knew. I'm exactly. Impressed. So, yeah. Um, so what that meant is because that engine has to be super low to the ground, ground effects, the way that it is being used on the other cars that have smaller engines, doesn't work. So, so they this to... is because cause you physically couldn't put a tunnel under the car because the engine's Correct. in the way of that tunnel. So what they had to do Wait, was... we've had a super chat. And it's going to go off the screen and I'll forget it. And this is going to be a painful one, but... So Ollie Wright says, um, if you can dig deep and say something really nice about Max... Uh, I mean, we've all, he's already... He said, if we say this nice thing, oh, he'll give, give us a five-star review. So he's already given us money. Uh, but okay. in, on the top of the money, he'll leave us a five-star review. Right, here we go. Uh, right. Hang on. Oh, maybe, maybe you need to go. No, I'm just joking. Max Verstappen is an extremely fast racing driver. Um, and he um, has won races and things. And is that enough? Is that good enough? No, I'm, I'm being really disingenuous. Max Verstappen is obviously one of the very, very best drivers in the world, potentially one of the best that's ever lived. Um, I just am not a fan of him. Your turn. To be fair, I share the I share the sentiment. You know, with regards to Max Verstappen, I don't particularly like the guy. I don't like the team he races for, and I don't like um, the way he portrays and the people around him portray for him but i can never ever doubt the quality of the driver the quality of the driver was never in doubt from the second he dropped into the sport as a 17 year old um who'd never turned the wheel before he right, was that's enough that's enough back to the brabham right <laughs> brabham fanker so venturi tunnels <laughs> venturi tunnels um right where was i You've, you completely, saying, you've completely thrown us off, Ollie. Um, right, yeah, flat, so. flat 12 boxer engine is in the way of the Venturi tunnels, so they had to think of another way to generate downforce that was different to the other cars. And Gordon Murray, who is a legendary designer, worked for many, many teams across Formula One and has pioneered lots of different technology. Maybe we could probably do a whole episode on Gordon Murray, or maybe we can try and find Gordon Murray and get him on the show one day. You never know. He might want to come and see us. Um, and he had to try and circumvent the rules and the whole thing of moving aerodynamics was very much outlawed but it's only if that moving aerodynamics was the prime was the primary function so what he figured out that he could do was he could bolt a whopping great fan onto the back of the car 
make 55% of that fan be for engine cooling and the rest of the the rest of the power of that fan could be for sucking the car to the ground and uh, and if you have a look at that car if you see any pictures from the side they did make the most of the fact that it was being cooled by this giant fan because there's barely any bodywork at the back. They really don't mm. have many openings. It's a very, very sleek rear end to the car. So it was, they weren't pretending that a large or uh, most of the percentage of the fan's effect was being used for cooling. It really was. But that still left a lot over to suck it down to the floor. Absolutely. And I mean, when they turned up with it, at the Swedish Grand Prix in 1978, it made a lot of fuss. It was instantly uh, looked at by especially Colin Chapman's Team Lotus as a case of, right, well, we've got to get that banned because obviously that can't be right. But the team had been talking to, I'll say the FIA. It wasn't the FIA back then who made those decisions. Uh, it was a different different. Ye- Different, yeah, different, I different, also um, can't remember what that initialism is, but yeah, there was a yes. three-letter initialism that was um, a, a, a kind of was technical it CIA. Guide. It was, I think it was no, it was CSI because I remember it was CSI. Like, I it was like CSI things. Miami. Yeah, I remember yeah. that. Um, so yeah, I can't remember what CSI stands for, but someone in the chat probably Connor will tell us um, what that stood for, and they deemed it as legal because the primary function and the majority function of that fan was to cool the engine, but. They knew, they'd been looking at the aero numbers, and Gordon had surprised himself with the amount of downforce that that thing was providing standing still. They told the drivers not to rev the engine in the pit lane, because when, it, when they rev the engine in the pit lane, the car physically sucked itself to the ground. Um, in qualifying, they were told to go out with full tanks and not drive too hard to not qualify on pole. And Nicky Lauda qualified 0.7 of a second off of Michael Andretti in the leading Lotus 79. And what they did was they went off the grid and for half the race, Nicky Lauda just followed Andretti. Until a point where he got about halfway through the race, got bored, drove around the outside of him, and fucked off until, I think, probably pushing too hard, Mario's car died. Um, and what did and- Lauda say? He, he described, was it embarrassingly easy to well, overtake him? It was embarrassingly easy to overtake him. Um, Gordon Murray was like, the car was embarrassingly quick. You know, they could have won that race at a counter. However, that rate, that car would not have been easy to drive because the only way to produce the downforce is to go faster. So where you would normally brake, steer, throttle into a corner, you had to always keep throttle on the whole way around the corner, which no wonder Nicky Lauda did very, very good and his teammate John Watson, well, John retired. Uh, I think he had a throttle stick and he spun off. Um, But you can imagine a car like that would be very difficult to drive. So in that car's first and only race, um, it was an absolute monster and destroyed everything. Now, this is where the history gets blurred, but my understanding is that car was not banned. They did not ban the fan car for that season because that car was completely legal and within the rules. The reason that they banned the the, the, reason reason they, they the reason they stopped using the car was because Bernie Eccleston, who owned Brabham at the time, um, was also creating FOCA, which is the Formula One constructors 
Association. And at this point, he is lobbying himself to take over Formula One. So he actually, considering everything we know Bernie Eccleston for, he pulled his own car that would have breezed to the championship out of the championship, um, much to the dismay of a very pissed off Gordon Murray, and they never drove it again. So actually, it has a perfect 100% race record. And interestingly, it was the same race that our weird and wonderful six-wheeler car that we talked about a few weeks ago won its only race win in Formula One. So that Swedish Grand Prix has a a bit of a, a, a kind of odd stat of having weird and wonderful cars win it uh, or get their only wins at it and considering it's a track i have absolutely no idea what way no, it goes, what it looks like not a clue <laughs> uh, it, it is not even a track that comes up on my racing radar sorry to our massive swedish audience that we don't know that circuit but yeah i love i love stories like this and this is the whole point of this little silly segment we do each week sometimes it's not silly sometimes we do like proper history like this but but it's we relevant enjoy as well learning. It's relevant as well because we've gone to ground effects again. I mean, I was I was banging on about ground effects needing to come back to Formula One for a long time because I thought it was a way to make the racing closer, and it seems to have worked. Um, and I think I think if and I even think if we were given the option of having a fan car, having the cars be able to have fans or have active suspension, I'd rather see the fans. Oh, talking about the fans, the one thing that. Lotus and Mario Andretti um, went around the grid trying to lobby everyone to say was that the car was throwing out stones and dust and it was like driving behind um, a tornado. And the reason that's really, really funny is because Gordon Murray said that that fan actually only had a... Have you deleted some of my notes, Brad? No, you should know this off the top of your head. No, I know. Has, this uh, is no, training. No, 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 it's a special... So the fan has an efflux of only 55 miles an hour. Now, Brad can obviously tell me when he... Oh, yeah. Is. Yeah, I know exactly what it is. Um, <laughs> basically, basically, he was saying it wasn't powerful enough to do what they were saying it was doing. It wasn't powerful correct. enough to actually chuck stones at people. I'm I'm dubious because I've driven behind race cars that don't have fans on the back. And I'll tell you what, they can chuck stones but, at you pretty hard. But that's because just... they're getting spat off the wheels and things like that. The, yes. But what Gordon actually said was, is because of the centrifugal force, centrifugal force... Um, what would actually have happened to any of the dust or stones is they actually would have got shot off to the side. So it wouldn't have actually affected them at all. Uh, but it's a really good defensive mechanism for if someone's alongside you. But that car was so fast, no one's ever going to get alongside you anyway. And Tom in the chat points out there was a second version designed with variable pitch, constant speed um, fan blades, which basically meant they could choose when they wanted the downforce. So the, sec- the next generation, which never raced, it was never built, would have been even more of a beast. Um, but as you say... Bernie Eccleston kind of um, took took one for the team to avoid the other teams having to yeah. or took one for the other teams actually it should be the correct phrase there to avoid them having to develop that and putting himself in a bad light with the other team owners yeah and then the the ability to make a car a fan car was written out of the rules so lots of people keep saying that that car was banned but actually that car was never officially banned and could have finished the season um, even if um, the one of the designers of the Lotus was still adamant that that car was illegal. But the rules weren't written as strictly as they are these days, and I think loopholes were probably much bigger back then. 
Well, what's interesting is we saw recently the kind of mini controversy about Ferrari having these things we spoke about with Kyle Power last week, these slot gap separators in their front wing of this year's car that Mercedes removed last year because last year the rule said the primary purpose wasn't allowed to be aerodynamic benefit. And it's a similar kind of rule that this fan car got through on because the primary purpose was demonstrated not to be for aero benefit. It was to cool that engine. Um, So we do still see on a smaller scale similar things but what does exist this to this to, at the moment is there is a new electric fan car um which you told me the name of earlier because I, I can't a mcmurtry i think yeah. that's the name of it and it got that's the, the name of the company the record at goodwood um on the hill climb this past year not not this year obviously but in the summer just gone in 2022 driven by max chilton former formula one driver um, and that thing is like a really weird batmobile looking small car electric with a giant fan two big fans two i was watching a video fans. i was watching a video on it earlier and it's actually the main designer of it is an ex-mercedes f1 engineer well and at least the, there's an example it, of a modern application of it and it's got a thousand horsepower of batteries that run it it's basically that's, that's, a, not, how you, that's not how you measure them, they they said how thousand horsepower and i'm not going to argue yeah, with the guy yeah. they designed the damn thing um uh and apparently it's literally they have enough space for the dashboard a steering wheel and the driver's seat every other conceivable space in that car is filled with batteries um it's got two big fans again it can literally like the 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 like the brabham it can suck itself to the floor just by revving, just by revving its engine, so it can produce you don't, two. You don't rev electric en- anyway. Yeah, I, I know well, you still mean. rev it. You put it in. You put it in. It's got gears. You can put it in. No, neutral. no. It not, no. You say you no. Go. You say no, but the Formula E cars have got gears. Mm, don't think so. I think they're one gear direct drive. That is something that our chat can tell me if I'm wrong about. This is why but, I don't watch Formula E. But whatever it is, I, I, I was revving no it idea. in the video. What can I say? It was literally revving electric motor okay fine right i'm, I'm, I'm guessing gonna, you can have gonna, it in neutral you watched a video on it and i didn't so i'm yeah. gonna i'm gonna give you the benefit of the doubt if you yeah. want to see this car by the way anyone listening just google mcmurtry um just google fan car it looks incredible it doesn't look real when you no. see the speed it can carry through some of the corners it looks sped up it looks fake and it's tiny absolutely it's tiny small, yeah like you say that just about can fit the driver so alex do you think we've probably I think we've probably scraped enough barrel for this week. Well, we've just gone over the hour, Mark. Okay, well... We'll um, have a lot more to talk about next week, that's for damn sure. We're going to have actual Formula One news, and we can't wait to give it to you. So, final couple of things before we go, then. We already mentioned, if you've enjoyed the podcast and you want to give us a helping hand, um, there are a couple of things you could do. You could give us a five-star review, like we said. Um, In Kenya, actually, we've dropped from P7 to P11 in the sports charts. So, help us climb back up to seventh place in the Kenyan um, podcasting sports charts, if you would um, be so kind. Like this YouTube stream, um, subscribe to this channel. We also have a new full chat YouTube channel. We're not broadcasting there because there's no one subscribed to it yet, and you've got to wait quite a while before you can do good live streams. Um, but go search for full chat and see if you can um, see if you can root out our official YouTube channel because eventually, when that's got enough subscribers, we will broadcast from there. Um, it really help boost us in the rankings if you could like this video. You can tell your friends. Word of mouth is always the best marketing co- tool for a podcast like this, especially a, a new one. So do us a favor. Tell your mates. Uh, lie to your mates, actually, and tell them that we're really good and handsome and knowledgeable. Um, and remember to follow us as well. Alex is on Twitter, at Alex Van Jean. 
Uh, it's up on the screen right now. Also, at Alex Vangine on TikTok. There will be a full chat TikTok channel at some point once I remember to send Alex the videos after each of these episodes. Um, and follow me, at Bradley Philpot on Twitter. And next week, we might have an actual celebrity on the show. A real, an actual proper celebrity. So don't miss uh, out. If this person comes on, I'm going to proper fangirl over, it, over them. In fact, there's a potential of two celebrities on different weeks, but let's see if we can make that happen. Until let's, we not see- wish too, let's not wish too hard. Okay. Until we see you next time, everyone, keep it full chat. Goodbye. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.